welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode 262 of the Extraordinary Moms podcast. It's Jessica. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a fantastic episode for you that I'm excited for you to hear. Today, my guest is Kristen Carbone. Kristen is an extraordinary mom of two little ones. She's a single mom, and she also went through a preventative mastectomy. After losing her mom to breast cancer, she wanted to get in front of this thing and not have the same outcome for herself. She's going to talk about that experience and now how she's gone on to empower other women who've walked similar paths by creating a company called Brilliantly, which supports women of breast cancer and who have gone through mastectomies and things like that both mentally and physically offering them resources and support. She's incredible. You're going to love hearing her story. So let's get to my conversation with Kristen. All right. I'm thrilled to be welcoming Kristen Carbone today. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Where am I speaking to you from today? I am at home in Providence, Rhode Island. Beautiful. My husband did Navy training in Rhode Island at the Navy base there, and it was just beautiful. I got to visit him. Oh, it's a wonderful little state. Yes. And today's a bit of a scorcher. It would be an excellent beach day if I wasn't working, but it's a pretty it's a pretty great spot to be. Awesome. Well, that's just so great. Well, I am just thrilled to be chatting with you today. Um, just your story is so compelling and inspiring, and I can't wait to hear more about it. So for people that may not know you, will you just give a little background on yourself? Sure. So my background is actually – I worked in museums as a curator for the first 10 years in the workforce and then for a handful of small kind of creative consulting agencies before that. And about a year ago, I started my own business. And a few months ago, I left my day job and I am now working on building my own business and working for myself, which is an exciting learning experience. I actually said this morning that I feel like every day I get issued a new textbook full of things <laughs> that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> and do you like that? Is that part of oh, your I nature? Okay. I really do. I think um, the real joy for me in any endeavor is the process. I think, um, which is a funny thing to say as a former museum curator, because obviously the goal is to have an exhibition mm-hmm. up on the walls of a space. But um, the process for a show that might be up for three or four months is about two years. So if you don't figure out ways to find delight in the day-to-day process of getting to a product, um, you, I, I feel like I would just have lost it by now. So um, most of the time I'm entertained by the amount of things that I don't know. You know, like I move through the world like a person who's like, I got this, I'm good. And then every day I'm like, whoa, I know nothing. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Well, if that's not a metaphor for motherhood, I don't know what is, right? It is right. all, like we just got through this summer and kids are now going back to school, which feels so exciting. And I commented to one of my friends the other day, it feels like the summer went really fast. But at the same time, it also feels like the days were super long, and I don't know how they can both coexist at the same time. 
Yeah, I think isn't that the thing everyone tells new parents is like the the days are long, but the weeks are short. Right, exactly. I feel that way. I truly do. And so what is your current business? Um, my current business, it started out as designing a product that was for women after they'd had breast reconstruction after mastectomy. And in doing market research for that product, I realized that there is an entire space where women have these unmet needs after a medical journey, after um, their experience with breast cancer, whether it was preventative or with a cancer diagnosis, um, where there's all kinds of things that you need that are either physical or emotional that sort of out, aren't out there in a accessible, curated space mm -hmm. in a way that meets women where they're at. Some of the, um, some of the problems women have... Um, are difficult to research and not everyone is gifted at doing research and some there are groups on Facebook and there are other organizations that are doing cool stuff but in terms of having um, one single kind of clearinghouse where there are products and services and content for women in this market who have overcome or preventatively chosen to um, stop worrying about their hereditary breast cancer risk that um, that we can kind of meet them where they are with the information that they're looking for about what their current state is because mm. it's kind of a unique place to be where you maybe don't want to be going to support groups, but you still, you still have needs that aren't getting met. So we're trying to build out a brand platform around that space. Amazing. Bravo, Kristen. And we're going to dig more into why this mission is so close to your heart um, later in the conversation. But I think the very best products, ideas, sources of motivation in our lives can be found by solving a problem that we're currently experiencing or finding a way to get through a challenge more easily. Those are the, the solutions that we're in desperate need of. But until you've walked that walk, it's really quite hard to know how to do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think designing things that are for yourself or an experience that you've had or a moment in your life that you know about that is a common moment for other people is the best way to find really the right solution because it's such an authentic way of exploring what it is that you need. Mm, I love that. Will you tell me about early motherhood for you? How old are your kids now? And let's just yeah. go back. <laughs> sure. So um, I have a nine-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter and they just started school today so um, <laughs> that was uh, you know they of course today was the only day that they slept in probably all summer <laughs> I had to wake them both up um and early motherhood for me I think was really lonely um I had my kids when I was pretty young I was living in a place where I didn't have a lot of friends who were in the current, who were in my sort of peer group, who were also married, having children, um, especially with my son, my first. I think I only had one other close friend who had had a child and she was not close by. So we connected, you know, over the phone and I have a big family, but um, not being near any of my friends or family who were at the current phase. And about 10 years ago, and this makes me just sound old, but there really wasn't the same kind of online communities in the way that there are now. And I felt really isolated, especially in moments of like, well, I don't really know what to do or I'm really sad today, even though 
my son is like happily bouncing in the little seat sleeping I'm totally overwhelmed yeah. <laughs> you know it was uh um I struggled a little bit in the first six months of motherhood part I- of that um also was because uh, my mother had already died and I think that is for me at least was a specific moment where I really missed her and mm. and having her presence and her influence and her support yes you lost your mother to breast cancer didn't you yes yeah and how did that shape, I mean, aside from the loneliness, did it change the way you viewed motherhood or viewed life in general and just the fragility of of life? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, she was only 49 when she died after a, a extended struggle with metastatic breast cancer, and I was 23. And I think really... Um, exploring mortality at at that age of 23 and thinking about like maybe my life will be short too mm. and I should be fitting as much life in as I possibly can was a thing that I thought about all the time um, and I don't know if this is true I feel like for me the way I describe becoming a mother is you experience this immediate and profound love for this person it's like a new way of loving a human and in that moment of of loving my son, I thought, oh, that is like how my mother felt about me. And of course, I loved her back. And I think there's this innate bond between mother and children. Um, but it, it's different when you're the mom. Mm. And um, it made it like made it the even though it had been years since she had passed away at that point, it made missing her more acute. Mm. Um yeah, and what would you say is a way that now that we can be intentional about building those positive relationships with our children so that one day, not that you know we would ever want them to miss us because we're not physically there, but you do want a strong relationship with your adult children and you want to be able to support them all their life. Is there anything that you're doing now to really instill those types of really solid relationships? Oh, totally. And I make this joke all the time about that I'm raising adults. I'm not raising children. Mm. Like I'm trying to um, give them values and help them understand their place in the world and their role as um, within our own family, but also within our community and the larger community. So they're so they grow up and into really great, thoughtful people and that I'm not just thinking about them as my current children, but I'm thinking about them as like my future friends and someone's coworkers and that they have to exist in the world and understand about accountability and responsibility and self-motivation. And, um, we do a lot of talking about that. We're on the same team. Mm. Like, you know, you guys are my team and we need you today. You're swiffering the floor and you're unpacking the dishwasher and I'm going to be folding laundry or whatever it is, but that, um, I try to really explain why a lot hmm. more than I thought I would have to. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Which is the difference between early motherhood and now is that there's so much more talking. <laughs> yes. No, exactly. And just saying no or because I said so or not right now or whatever, when you're not giving them the background context, we kind of, I don't know, at least I do, when I don't want to give the full explanation or, you know, I'm just tired or grumpy or whatever, we really discredit that 
if we don't teach them, you know, how to view things, you know, holistically or what a consequence looks like, we can't do this because this or whatever, they're never really going to be able to understand to make any difference. So chances are they're going to be asking the same questions again and again. You're getting just as annoyed every time versus if you offered them some more perspective that they may not have considered before because, hello, our kids are not pre-programmed, then you're kind of saving yourself a lot of energy in the long run, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so many times where just doing it myself is easier and faster Mm -hmm. and yields likely a better result. Totally. But, um, you know, for the sustainability of our household and for their long-term wellness and health and like ability to take care of themselves being like, no, this is how you fold a shirt and this is how you put it away and this is how you hang this up and, um, you know, this is how you set the table or whatever it is that, and then there's also like, there's the second level of question, right? Is like, well, why do we set the table that way? And then thank God for Google. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And sometimes our kids question us on things and then we realize, oh, well, maybe it doesn't have to be this way. And you right. can find a new way that's better. Is it really important that our table's set perfectly every day? Or is that just my own perfectionistic thing that's putting these expectations that don't need to be there on my kids could we do a different way or yeah I love when kids really challenge us to reconsider the way we've always seen things too not only are we offering them an expanded perspective but I just feel the same exact way that they can do that for me as well oh for sure yeah amazing Amazing. which is humbling (laughs) it is it is and I think especially in the very beginning of motherhood when you feel like you're handed over this baby and you for most of us, hopefully, like we thought we were going to be kind of good at it, right? Or great at it. And, right. and things don't go according to how, what, you know, what to expect when you were expecting or the books that come after and baby wise isn't working for your sleeping baby. And, and you're wondering, what the heck am I doing wrong? But always realizing like it's just a constant work in progress. And like you said in the beginning, it is about the journey. And when things aren't going well, you know, how can you make tweaks to make it go better? Not perfect, but better. Right. Yeah. It's an ongoing exercise in learning that you really don't have that much control Mm. and, and that you don't know what you're doing. Cause every new phase, as soon as, or at least for me, it felt like I would settle into a phase with them where I felt like I understood their needs and what was happening and their routine. And then it changes. Yes. <laughs> just as soon as you figure them out, they just go and change mm-hmm. on you. Thank you so much, children. Oh man. Well, I know that the loss of your mother not only altered, you know, your ability to have a mother to turn to and to be there in these milestones for your life, but it also altered the way that you viewed your health and the proactivity you had towards taking care of your own body, especially in terms of breast cancer. So will you share a little bit about that journey that you were on and the decisions that you decided to make? Yeah, of course. Um, Back when my mother was struggling with breast cancer, there was no legislation that protected you against insurance discrimination if you found out you had a hereditary cancer risk. So at the moment in time when she and I discussed if she was going to have genetic screening and then if they found something that I would also, we agreed to not do it. And, um, you know, my promise to her was I will always be my own healthcare advocate and I will go and I will get screened and I will find a program that tracks me and let's focus on you. Um, and I think it was shortly after I had my son and I reconnected with one of my college professors who, 
um, a number of women in her family have had breast cancer. And she said to me, Oh, you should, you should see the woman who I see at NYU. And so I started this screening program and, um, I went every six months for either a mammogram or an MRI and ultrasound. And because that doesn't follow the FDA protocol for one, my age, and then two, um, the appropriate diagnostic screen, I was paying out of pocket for all of those tests while I was healthy and while I had young children and also while I was working in nonprofits and Mm. it got to be very expensive. And in addition to the, in addition to the financial expenses, it was emotionally taxing in an enormous way that every once in a while I think about how often I was worrying about, okay, well I have to make disappointment and then I have to go and get my results and then I go back to New York and meet with the doctor and hear what she has to say about it and it was non-stop and I felt like I was sick even though I was well and when I I think it was three months after I turned 30 they found a lump in my left breast and it was in the exact same spot as my mom's primary cancer which is medically irrelevant but scary and I had a biopsy and it was benign, but I thought, what am I doing? That was sort of my wake up call where it felt like I'd had my children. I didn't want more children. Um, I had nursed them both. I was taking care of myself. I now had a network of doctors that I had access to who knew me and knew my family history. And I started on the journey for fighting with my health insurance provider for almost the next year until I was able to schedule having the preventative double mastectomy. And um, I have, there have been all kinds of different struggles that range from physical to emotional around um, recovery and easing back into my life, but there has never been a moment that I've regretted my decision. Wow. I just feel so, so much hearing a story like this and hearing stories from other women that you know, are trying to save their life potentially, or they have had a diagnosis and they're fighting with insurance companies and the finances and the approvals become more of an issue even than just getting healthy. That just seems so backwards to me. I can't, I, I, at one point thought I should be logging the amount of hours I spend on the phone with my insurance company. (laughs) I'm sure they had me like on a most wanted list poster somewhere, but it's, (laughs) It's almost a full-time job. Yes. Um, You know, the system isn't necessarily set up for people who don't fall within the bell curve. So figuring out what you have access to and where you can go to have it and who you have it with and how long you can stay and how you get home and who takes care of you and what follow-ups look like and what your insurance approves versus what your doctor says you need and how you can negotiate that is, um, it's a, it's a taxing process. Right. Um, Oh, I'm sure. And And I learned a lot about myself during it. Yeah. Well, what did you learn? I'm not someone who in my early adulthood was very capable of asking for help. And I, I think part of that was like a psychological compensation for losing my mother and thinking like, okay, well, I, I would like to appear fine. And so appearing as if I'm okay means that doing all these things for myself and not saying I need help and not asking for help, I'm just going to do it all. I can do everything. And 
I couldn't do everything. I couldn't mm. lift up my kids. I couldn't wash my own hair. I couldn't drive for many months. There was lots of moments where I had to ask for help to survive. And it was so amazing to experience the people who I'd been friends with from all from like childhood to people I'd met in college to family members who came and rallied and helped me in ways that sometimes I didn't even ask for that I I didn't even know I needed and they did things for me that were totally amazing um I think at the at the end when I could kind of get back into taking care of myself I felt like I have this enormous debt to repay like there is no amount of thank yous that could cover how grateful I am mm. and that I don't have the time to give back what got given to me and that is part of what fuels me in driving my desire to start this new business is knowing that there is maybe one tiny iota of help that I can provide to women in this space that would karmically feed back what got given to me. Oh, that's so beautiful. And so for an outsider like me that maybe has a friend going through something like this or even just something similar, what are the things I need to know about what you went through and ways that I can actively, tangibly offer help and support? That's a really good question. And that is a, um, it's also kind of a loaded question, right? It's like when you know someone, when I know someone whose mother dies I sit down and I'm like, okay, what, what can I do? And there isn't, there isn't really, there isn't a right thing to say for everyone. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a right thing to do. You know, some people who are going through a medical experience, whether it's breast cancer or anything else, need someone to sit in the doctor's office with them. And it, whether that's in the waiting room or in the exam room and taking notes to answer, like you're asking questions and you don't always remember what they say or you hear an answer that's upsetting and then you kind of shut down. Mm. I think it's also offering what you're good at. Like if you are a terrible cook, don't offer to cook meals. <laughs> and if you're a really empathetic listener, offer to go to the doctors. Mm. If you love driving, offer to like pick up their kids from school or go grocery shopping or take them to and from an appointment or whatever it is. I think um, the struggle and issues that come up between family members and with your closest friends during heightened emotional times are when you're asking someone who loves and cares about you for something they can't give you. Hmm. So if you're offering help, make sure it's help you can offer. And if you're asking for help, make sure you're asking someone who can actually give you the kind of help that you need. Otherwise, it kind of sets the stage for disappointment. So if you're really good at cleaning, please come clean. <laughs> there's like, there's lots of things. Um, but I think it's different for everybody what their specific needs are. So maybe just asking and being really like, I want to help you and however you need help. And if you can't think of something that you need, I'm a really great cook and I'd love to cook for you. But if there's something else, ask. Kristen, that is so genius because I think also what plays into this is the guilt. Like you feel like you're just taking, taking, taking from people. Oh, you don't need to bring me dinner. We're really okay. I can imagine, you know, feeling feeling that to some degree when, you know, you were healthy enough to, to feel that. But 
when you know somebody is giving because it's out of their giftings and out of their their skill set that they enjoy, maybe they really do like cleaning. I'm not that person. I'm not going to come clean your house, Kristen, but I will make you a meal and it will be delicious. <laughs> and <laughs> and when you know that it's coming from a place of they love that. They love to do that and I would love to provide an opportunity for them to serve in that way. It really kind of takes the guilt or the burden out of it. Did that kind of help you as well when you thought of it that way? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I think, you know, people are happy to help. Yes. Most people want to help. It They wouldn't offer if they didn't want to. So, you know, it is, and I still struggle when someone says like, oh, how can I help you? You're doing this thing. What can I do for you? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but I think um, it's a, it's a skill to be able to articulate what your needs are day to day at work to your kids, to your partner, whatever it is. And, um, and being, having a medical experience or being ill is no different. So sure. Yeah. And I think too, like when we sign up on the the list that's going around to church or in the PTA or whatever, and we sign up for things that we don't love to do, we end up kind of being resentful (laughs) and we don't do it with a happy heart. And there was somebody um, that I talked to one time that said, I never sign up for the meal train ever because I can't, I have a hard time even putting dinner on the table for my family. So why would I ever sign up and be grumbly about bringing dinner to somebody else? She's like, but I will always blank. I can't remember what she said, but she had an alternative that was her gifting that she did enjoy that she was willing to do. So Maybe that's a great activity today for anybody listening that they can just sit down and, you know, what are your top three ways that you love to serve that you're good at that can be incorporated in your day-to-day life easily that's, you know, in this season of life, you have this to offer. And then when those opportunities present themselves, please show up, please do it because people, people need you. It also makes you feel good to sit for a minute and think about what you're good at right? and then to do it for someone else. It's so nice. Well, yeah, and even identifying things you didn't think were gifts. Like um, one of my friends, she is so great at identifying people's gifts, and she's has really recognized the role of the supporter, you know, because there's people that want to be on stage and have an audience and have a platform, and then there's people that need to be in the audience or else who are they going to talk to, right? And to mm-hmm. be a, a cheerleader, an encourager, and I love how you even said, you know, bringing them to your appointments to take notes for you. I would have never thought of that, but I can do that. I would love to be there in that kind of empathetic kind of role that sounds great yeah. and the thing like uh, that was a hard thing I had a really hard time asking people to do that for me hmm. and the times that I did have people come with me to appointments they asked such good questions hmm. but I think that's the thing too is then you have to say like okay I'm gonna come with you and I'll take notes is it okay for me to say anything or do you just want me to sit there and take notes hmm. I like that yeah, because it, depend, you know, it depends on the person. I'm all for everybody asking all of their questions in almost any situation, but right. it might make other people uncomfortable. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's a great clarification for sure. And I guess we should mention too that you did all of this going through all of this, you know, early motherhood and not having your mom and the weight of these medical procedures all as a single mom. How is how is that? You know, it's funny because I feel like the phrase single mom has so much stigma around it. And mm. whatever baggage we personally bring to that phrase, um, I don't have any with that. Mm. Um, my ex-husband and I are excellent friends and we're great co-parents. And um, while we weren't living in the same house, he has rallied 
to support me and, and vice versa mm-hmm. on any time either one of us need help. And, you know, I have my dad, I have a brother, I have a huge family. And I also live in a house that is a big old three-story, two-family house with a rotating cast of people who come and stay for anywhere from like a night to a month to a few years who have been other people going through different struggles or writing a book and needing a quiet space. And I am rarely filling that stereotypical role as like the single mom running around, struggling, being alone Mm. and and feeling like, like I don't have support. I have such an enormous amount of support all the time and I'm really grateful for it. And the amazing thing that's happened, I think from living in this space with my kids and having so many adults kind of coming and going is there's so many interesting different perspectives like people who are writers or actors or doctors who have lived with us who can answer their questions and my kids now because of growing up in this way have are really engaging Mm. and they have had their their curiosity met by so many different viewpoints. And I think that doesn't always happen in a household where there's only two parents. And so in a way, you know, they have maybe some obstacles to overcome or questions about why is our nuclear family different from some other people's. Mm-hmm. But I think for the most part, they're just delightfully happy, um, bright, engaging little stars I personally don't feel like I'm struggling or alone or that I ha- that I per- that I as a mom have this huge obstacle to overcome because I'm trying to fulfill so many different roles. I think we've managed to create a little village and I think it does take a village whether you're married or not to mm-hmm. to raise kids and raise them well. Oh, what a great insight into into that. And I'm so glad you spoke to that stigma and and even just reflecting on how I asked the question and the way I said single mom, I wonder if, yeah, I projected a little bit of that stigma thinking there has to be struggle and everything. But as you were speaking about, yeah, there are certain obstacles that come with living separately and not having that quote unquote traditional nuclear family, but there's also opportunities that don't exist or, you know, that people neglect to cultivate in in order to, you know, have a community rallying around you and I think it's great to be intentional about growing your community in order to have more support just because it benefits everybody having different perspectives and there's just so much we can can learn. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, their their dad is amazing and we as two adults have very different strengths and weaknesses, but the things they've been exposed to and people who are like makers and artists, they, they have seen other adults do so much cool stuff on a day-to-day basis Mm. that that their dad and I never could have exposed them to just as two people. So in a way, I feel grateful. That's really neat. That is really neat. Yeah, I'm I'm a military wife, and so I've solo parented a lot um, with my husband being gone occasionally and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and I really feel like I struggled the most when I tried to cling really tightly to how I think things should be going or how things should be. Um, and I really settled into a really healthy, happy rhythm 
when I accepted how things are (laughs) instead of how things should be. And so not that our circumstances are exactly the same, but I, I can understand how when I was way more open to, you know, taking the offers that came from come over to our house for dinner because we know, you know, you're not cooking as much because you don't have to. Or, um, you know, having help with carpool because I'm just one person and saying yes to that instead. Just that expectation and being open to not just lowering our expectations so there aren't any, but having more realistic visions in terms of this is this is what is and what are we working with and how can we make the most of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you had asked me, what my life was going to be like when I was 21. Um, I had a very clear picture of what I thought my existence would look like and what I was going to do and where I was going to be and who I was going to be surrounded by. And my experience and my life have led me in a different path and I, I'm happy about it. Hey everyone, I hope you're loving getting to know Kristen, but I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors and that is Canvas People. We all have our favorite photos, the ones we cherish and adore. For me, it's my holiday photos that I print out and put on the walls every single year. You know how I love to display them? With canvases from Canvas People. Don't let your precious photos sit on your computer or your phone any longer. Decorate your home with loving family photos that capture memories that you don't want to forget. Canvas People transforms your photos into beautiful, unique, museum-quality canvases that are easy to hang and make fabulous home decor. Ordering is so simple on their website. By going to canvaspeople.com, you upload your photos, choose your size, and it's shipped to you in no time. It's light, durable, and easy to hang. I know you're gonna love Canvas People as much as I do, and so I have a special code for you. You can use that special code to get an 11 by 14 Canvas People print for free. That's a $69.99 value, and all you do is pay shipping and handling. To get your free 11 by 14 canvas, all you have to do is visit canvaspeople.com and use my special code EMP. That's canvaspeople.com and use my special code EMP at checkout. Thanks, Canvas People. Now let's get back to it. It is just so refreshing to hear from somebody like you, and I hear from this from extraordinary women all the time, who, you know, we all kind of have that picture in our mind of how life's going to go, right? But if we were to pull 100 women, how many lives actually are the exact replication of that vision? Very few, but how many are happy? And I think the number of happy people are the people that choose to be happy with whatever they're mm-hmm. dealt. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases, like on a day-to-day, if you take out trauma or some kind of really awful experience, happiness is a choice. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, oh, I'm overwhelmed, but what am I overwhelmed about? Or why did that feel bad? Or what about that instigated this this reaction from me? And then like, okay, and, and move through it. Mm, yeah. So undergoing a mastectomy and reconstruction, I've had friends go through it and it is painful and it is and it is long. It is a long process, isn't it? It sure is. Can you just give me a little insight into like your timeline and kind of, you know, for people that don't have somebody close to them that's been through it, what does that look like exactly? And then what did you learn from that in order to create your company brilliantly? Sure. Um, I think uh, back when I had mine in 2013, it was pre-Angelina Jolie announcing hers. We mm-hmm. probably were having them around the same time, but mm-hmm. she hadn't announced it yet. 
And breast cancer, as many people know or remember, was something women didn't really talk about for a long time. Um, it was almost shameful. We, we didn't really talk about our bodies that much. We weren't really allowed to, and or culturally, I should say. And I think I had, I had a hard time finding women to talk to who'd been through it. Mm-hmm. So what my expectation was around what it would be like and what it was like were very different. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a different experience to have your doctor say to you, okay, this is what you're going to feel like. Um, in this, in these few chunks of weeks, and this is what you're going to feel like afterwards is really different from another woman who's at a similar age and a similar place in her life. Who maybe if you have children also has children saying to you like, yeah, okay, these are the things I could do. And these are the things I couldn't do and kind of give you a little bit more detail and insight into what it's like living that way. Mm. Um, my doctor said to me, you're going to feel good after three weeks. Like you're going to, your pain's going to be much less. You're, you're going to feel more like yourself again. Um, the medications will mostly be out of your body. And, and on that first day that you feel a little bit better, you're going to overdo it. And then it's going to be another three weeks before you feel better wow. again. Right? And even with that warning, I did exactly that. Um, and I think the other um, thing you don't really know is how, how many surgical procedures it is in total is dependent on the woman, but it is not just like a one and done. Okay. Um, it is an ongoing process. Um, I had my mastectomy in April of 2013. I had um, expanders put in and because I didn't, I, I had a small chest to begin with and I wanted to kind of stay how I looked before. It didn't take much for them to expand the tissue expanders to the size that I was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so I had an exchange surgery in June Mm -hmm. and they drifted, which, so they were like moving towards my armpits and looked really strange. And I had another revision surgery in October of 2013. And then um, some minor procedures like in the doctor's office, trying to adjust a few things here and there and ended up injuring myself. In the fall, winter of um, 2016, and had my last surgery in the spring of last year. And it was really at that moment where I was like, I'm going to do this right, and I'm going to not hurt myself, and I'm going to go to physical therapy, and I'm going to really learn how to move through the world, and what are the things that I should be doing and not doing so I don't hurt myself. And that's ongoing. And, and a corrective exercise program is one of the things that we're building under the brand You know, I didn't have a cancer diagnosis, which I feel very lucky about, but going into it as a young, healthy woman and still having troubles means that most people probably are going to have long-term muscle issues, um, emotional issues. And so Mm -hmm. I've been really trying to mine my own experience for what were the things that I needed at different points during this journey and what, and talking to women who've had different experiences to hear what they needed to and finding what are the most common things and how can we get those needs met. So um, knowing and, and living through this many year long experience of sort of overcoming what it is and getting back into your life and then hurting yourself and having to go back. It's, I don't want to call it chronic because I think that word has a negative connotation, but it is an ongoing issue. Mm. So yeah, I think the perception might be that it is far more isolated. Like, okay, you just get through this season and then you're back to normal. But from what I've heard from other women who have 
who did have the cancer diagnosis and went through the surgeries and everything, like, you're never the same. You're never the same. So there is a new normal, though. It doesn't mean you can't have a very bright future. But, yeah, again, that expectations things and having the proper support to to be able to thrive going forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. Our yeah. whole mission is around getting you to that bright future. Sure. That you don't you don't get back to who you were before you did it. And and how do we help you find the essence of who you are and the silver lining in what happened to you, whether that was how your community rallied for you, whether you learned things about yourself, whether you took control over your health or or valued your experiences and are living more intentionally, like what is that part of your journey that you can reframe in a positive way and then move forward to go be the best whatever you are whether that's a mom or an artist or you know a business person whatever it is that fuels you in your life that we're helping you get back to doing those things that you love doing and not just hunkering down and defining yourself by your relationship to breast cancer and that particular difficult moment in time Mm. but but that you get to say, okay, I can, I can, I got through that, and it's going to be a thing I have to think about and deal with. But how do I, how do I be the best version of me that I can be? And how can that fuel your future for good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because right. I mean, yeah, there's aspects of my pre-baby body, or you know, different parts of my life where it's like, oh, that was a great time of life. But would I ever really want to relive and go back and be stuck as that? Even, even if it meant, you know, before a certain challenge. No, I'm quite grateful for my challenges and my experiences that have led me to the version I am today. And I'm really hopeful that tomorrow will be even better and better and better. And that I'm just one step closer every day to being the person that I was meant to be because I'm trying to be that. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that, and that statement will have a spectrum of answers that, that accompanies it. You know, there are different people who are struggling along that, taking ownership over the experience and what was good. And and we want to help them be able to say just exactly what you said. Right. And that's not to negate any of the pain and the struggle and any of that. You can completely acknowledge the grief and the hardship. Mm -hmm. Experience. Yes. And yeah. And my heart absolutely 100%, you know, breaks for and goes out to um, all the women that have, have walked the road that you have and, and, you know, people that go through different challenges that it's like, well, I don't see any good in this. And I just, I just hope that you will find a life worth living. You know, that's just Mm -hmm. what I hope for everybody. Oh man, you're so amazing. Where can people find you to find out more about Brilliantly, all that you have to offer? And hopefully either there's somebody listening who could directly benefit from these or 100% I know of people that I'm going to be sending this information to um, who have been through this or are going through this right this second. So where can we find you? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, For kind of a behind-the-scenes voyeuristic peek into what my day-to-day life is like building this business and how things are growing, you can follow me at BrilliantlyKristen on Instagram. And the company, which we're about to start launching more content on the company's Instagram, which is brilliantly.co. And the same, our web address is the same, brilliantly.co. And a new revision that's not just a landing page to sign up for the mailing list is happening um, by the end of this week. So we'll start unrolling a little bit of content and some guest blog posts and some thoughts of mine. But 
Um, so good. Really, in the fall, there will be quite a bit more content that hopefully will help people and will be useful. So good. Oh, I'm so excited. And we'll link to everything over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com, so it's really easy to find over there as well. Well, Wonderful. Kristen, Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I always ask my guests just one final question, and it sure. is this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? That's a great question. Um, I think that it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That that you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of it's it's such an unknown journey. I mean, any any life change, whether it's kids or cancer or divorce or marriage or or pick a thing, um, how you imagine it rolling out and how it rolls out is really different. And that um, it it's all going to be okay, and and maybe even awesome. Maybe even awesome. Maybe even better than you thought. Yeah. So good. Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your motherhood journey. I'm so glad that you are able to use the experience that you had to fuel your mission now to really impact the lives of other women that need you so desperately. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to chat. And um, I hope that your listeners get something out of out of the experience. I'm sure they will. Thank you so much and have a great, great day. You too. Bye-bye. Wasn't that so awesome? Kristen is so extraordinary, and I love, love, love that she has not chosen to become a victim to this set of circumstances she's been dealt, that by going through the surgery, it is fueling a new mission in her life that will offer support to hundreds and thousands and millions even of women that are desperate for this kind of support and solidarity when you become a part of a community like this. So grateful for her and her passion to empower other women in this way. Check out everything about Kristen, everything we talked about, where to find brilliantly over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 or on Facebook at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast. Coming up this Friday, we do have another episode for you. Jess Kalam from Skip to My Luca is back answering some of your parenting questions. She is one of my very favorite parenting experts, and she tackles three or four questions this Friday that she has been asked, that I have been asked, and we're getting to the bottom of what she would tell you to do. (laughs) I'm no expert. I'm trying this all alongside you guys, but I will say, my son is potty trained. We did it. I'm so proud of us, Um, but... Yeah, everything's a work in progress on this end as well. So thanks for tuning in the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. And we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.